0: With me today is Professor Mark Watson-Gandy, a British lawyer, academic, and author specialising in commercial law. In his remarkable career, he has served as counsel in several high-profile litigation cases. He has recently published Simple Contract Law, a brief introduction to English contract law. It is central reading for all small business owners we learn more about his experiences and views on commercial law, ethics, and education. Mark, you're a commercial lawyer. Can you
1: explain more about your areas of expertise? I do company banking and insolvency work. There's a a fair degree of overlap between those subjects. Um, banking deals with the scenario, the question, what happens if? And insolvency is, oh gosh, it's actually happened. When did you realise that law would be your career path? I don't really recall, but I do remember as a small child buying a book called Introduction to to English Law uh, for 50 pence and being fascinated by the sort of quirky things it contained. Um, As as regards coming to the bar, that was, I think, much, much later. Certainly the bar sounded uh, romantic at the time. Uh, The idea of being in business on my own account, uh, effectively the master of my own destiny, uh, was something that appealed uh, the chance, effectively, to, to build my own practice, my own small business. You are a highly accomplished barrister. You've appeared in
0: complex cases, such as Cambridge Analytica, which of your achievements are you most proud of?
1: I've been in this game for about 30 years. So I've I've seen a few fun cases over my time. I was counsel for the administrators recently in Cambridge Analytica. I did the Lloyd's Names litigation for about a decade. I was counsel for the court-appointed amicus curiae over the litigation of the collapse of Stanford International Bank out in Antigua. Um, which was, this, I think, the second largest Ponzi scheme
0: ever. With automation and digital processes taking over most mainstream applications,
1: how do you see the legal industry changing over the next decade? The legal industry has moved with technology. Um, it's often easy to forget that when I started at, at the bar, um, cutting edge was the fact we had a fax machine, which would regularly spit out briefs with half the key pages missing. Um, advices and, and, and pleadings was, were handwritten or dictated, and then painstakingly re-typed and retyped typed by, uh, by a secretary. Today, we're, we're, we're in a world of email, legal databases, automatic transcription, e-bundles and auto-search.
0: Can you envisage a time where automation through bots will be used in arbitration and resolving disputes? Or do you feel the human interpretation of the laws is fundamental to its effectiveness?
1: there's increasing automation already um lawyers are taking a much more peripheral role for example in areas like personal injury and, and debt collection but i i think there still is a, ro- a role for the human element um the, the elements of compassion and understanding of the human condition uh, so i hope, and i think we are still some way off from robots and wigs
0: <laughs> the british legal system is the benchmark across the world for setting laws why do you feel we have such a strong theme of equity and justice ingrained in our history?
1: The idea that the king promised every citizen the right to demand of fair and prompt justice in the Magna Carta, the to none shall we delay, to none shall we withhold justice, I think is the, is, is, is the passage. It was, a, it was a very dramatic and, and revolutionary uh, idea uh, that, that your monarchy, ordinary citizens, a reciprocal duty and that's fired people's imagination ever since Uh, for lawyers and judges it it meant that they were by this somehow charged with the responsibility to be the final check against an abuse of power
0: you are one of the government's legal services great champions who promote uk legal services overseas is there any demand for english law as an export
1: english law is presently the preferred choice of law for international contracts we Dominate in sectors like international commercial contracts, banking, finance, maritime, shipping, MA, dispute resolution, and international arbitration. So there's a massive economic benefit attached to that, with legal services presently representing about 60 billion of the UK's. Uh, our economy's GDP and about six billion in, in, in exports. So, there's, there's, so the answer is yes, we, there's a real um, and exciting impact of English law and legal services. And a lot to do it has been um, the attraction, of the certainty and the convenience of English contract law.
0: Most disputes are resolved through arbitration than actual legal proceedings. What are the key elements of resolving commercial disputes?
1: Well, I just thought there'd be more court disputes than arbitration, which is uh, generally slightly more expensive. Uh, but certainly mediation, the alternative ways of res- resolving disputes through negotiation, w- whether structured or, or informal, uh, it has taken a, a much greater play in dispute resolution these days. And it's... Let, to be candid, always much better to try and resolve things informally. There's no weakness in trying to strive towards a commercial resolution. Because at the end of the day, litigation ultimately hurts both parties uh, and is colossally expensive.
0: So are there any steps a business owner can take to ensure they are protected against commercial disputes and potential litigation?
1: Candidly, um, there's no sure far, far way of protecting yourself, but the things you can do to limit the risk to yourself and, and your business. Um, insurance can soften the, the financial blow of any litigation. Good, well-drafted contract uh, may provide some uh, legal armour, uh, but very often I find uh, people end up in court, not because they intended to breach the contract, but because they misunderstood as to what the obligations they they signed up to. And that's not quite as surprising as you might think. Um, When you and I go to our lawyers to record the bargain that we've struck, uh, we assume that what will be set out in that document is precisely that. But in fact, what happens is the lawyers will continue the negotiation process as they put pen to paper. And so you may end up with a subtly different contract to the bargain you thought you'd struck in the first place. So one takeaway I'd, I'd like to give is to make sure that when you do do a contract, um, make sure that you do what's called a pre-signing read-through. Basically what it what it involves is you and the other side sit sit down whilst the lawyer goes through, the lawyers on both sides go through the contract and what it actually means. And there are misunderstandings. It's always much better to have this sorted out there and then When where both parties actually love each other than um, a year down the road when parties certainly don't anymore. Are there any business
0: and communication skills that a business owner can learn when dealing with commercial disputes?
1: One of the things that a business owner can do uh, to assist themselves is to make sure that they build a document trail, the paper trail effectively that you create by email by letter um, is as the evidence that is going to be crucial um, in any litigation, and also in cr- crucial in just both your lawyers and the other side's views as to as to how that that case will will pan out. Uh, so the paper trail is absolutely key. If you are going to c- uh, correspond with the other side, the tone um, it needs to be factual and and reasonable. Remember, it's it may at some stage be read out in court don't stop, that shouldn't stop you sort of spelling out the issues and how they impact upon you, because that's, that's something that's going to be useful uh, later on. Uh, another thing that's probably worth mentioning is that there's often a misunderstanding as regards the significance of sticking without prejudice on the top of your document. In essence, all it says is this is e-communication tells the court uh, you don't need to read this document because it's it's it contains a protected offer it doesn't have any further magic than, than that if you want to keep a to if you want to use it to make a an, an offer that the court uh, won't see um that sticking without prejudice is just a, a marker to the to the court to to explain the nature of that document
0: so would that generally be considered privilege to
1: avoid the costs associated to litigation it, it's arisen because the courts have enc- tried to encourage people to settle. And that they are and that they are conscious that people may feel deterred from from making offers if they see if they think that the court will be reading it out as part of the evidence before it but the idea behind with prejudice is, is this is a document that contains an offer uh, it's not something to be shown to the court and the court's very happy about that if you want to use that letter if you plan to make the offer with the hope of sometime later pointing out to the court look, I made them a really decent offer, they shouldn't have gone to court. There's something called a Calderbank letter, and it's just um, changing the formulation of without prejudice and adding the word save as to costs, which which simply says, this is a um, confidential offer letter, but I may refer to it later if this ever comes back to court so that I can say to the court, they should have accepted this offer.
0: Is that similar to a part 36 offer?
1: Part 36 is, is a, a further uh, development on, on this, this offer theme. Um, in essence, what it, what it does is it creates a formula for um, a, a specific type of, type of offer to, either from the claimant or the defendant. Um, and uh, you have ramped up consequences if the other side don't accept your, your, your offer and you beat your offer in litigation. So you not only get your costs, but you get your costs on an indemnity basis. You could, can possibly get interest on top of your costs. So um, receiving a Part 36 offer means, very very often, means that you need to think long and hard as to whether or not you reject it, because the consequences, if you fail to beat it, uh, can be fairly
0: dramatic. Social media has seen a market for false gurus and hucksters exploiting victims for get-rich-quick and elaborate schemes how important is it for business owners and the general public to be aware of the tactics employed by scam artists
1: well sadly these days it's increasingly important to be to be wary and because scams are um, increasingly sophisticated um so it does make sense to uh, be alert to whatever is the latest fraud that's doing the round um, i think the real danger is in people convincing themselves that only other people are foolish enough to be gulled the reality is, we're all vulnerable to fraud. We all need to be alert to it. And conmen are, by their very nature, deeply plausible. Uh, well, otherwise, they, they simply wouldn't be able to apply their trade.
0: You're not only a lawyer, but also an educator. What do you enjoy
1: most about teaching law? I think it's important to give back uh, something in life, but it's also incredibly rewarding to share your knowledge and experience with young people starting out in the profession and still not j- yet jaded and still brimming with enthusiasm and excitement and passion.
0: You're also an author of several legal books. Your latest is a children's book based on starting a business. What was your inspiration for the book?
1: Well my latest book is Simple Contract Law but um, you're quite right. Um, I um, did uh, I did write a book called Kids MBA um, the background to that is that as an insolvency lawyer, I've seen so many good businesses fail. Um, so it struck me that it was deeply needed that, that people be taught basic business skills. Um, so in 2016, I developed something called Kids MBA to give an introduction to basic know-how and hard skills. And that course was taken up by an awarding body called ABA Global, and it's rolled out by them. It's now taught in, I think, 30 countries. Uh, I, and it's just been launched in, in Zambia. Um, it's just been featured on uh, national television there. And the Kids MBA book was based on that course. Do you feel that entrepreneurship should be taught as part of the school curriculum? Passionately, uh, definitely. It, schools teach a, a rich curriculum of subjects, but what they don't teach are the basics of skills and know-how that you're going to need in 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 real life you know, things like how to do your taxes how to sell what, what customer services involves you know the sort of the sort of basic necessary stuff that we it's that we're it's assumed we know just know when we walk out of the school decades gates into the big wide world and enterprise needs to be encouraged but if we're going to rely on people learning um business stewardship through trial and error it's going to be hardly surprising why so many new businesses fail. So which entrepreneurs do you admire and why? I, I don't think I'm going to get, I, I'm not going to reel off any sort of big names because it's easy to do amazing things if you're supported by a, a talented team and buckets of cash. Um, my admiration really goes out to the to the small businesses who somehow bootstrap to build a livelihood for themselves and their staff and still manage to produce amazing products and craft extraordinary things and turn everyday problems into opportunities. In your book
0: you mentioned the importance of understanding terms and a well-drafted contract. Is the key to contract law just reading the
1: small print? A bigger question is, is often do we have a contract because not every contract is in writing. I always thought of contracts as a sort of cake mix um an offer acceptance intention to create legal relations privity capacity consideration if you don't have those you you don't have a contract and there's also things like the defenses like misrepresentation duress undue influence uh, and the fact that terms could be implied by the by by law and by the court so it's never as simple as, as just what's there there in writing
0: when entering into a commercial agreement with someone are there any pointers that you can give when you
1: first record your the the bargain that you've struck perhaps on on the back of an envelope or, or a bill it's always worthwhile writing the word subject to contract and basically what that that does is it is it leaves a marker for any future judge reading it simply saying to him look judge you don't need to read this this is, this is just a draft we're going to send our lawyer to our lawyers to finalize as regards the, the contract itself, if I could leave, leave a plea, please keep things sim- simple. Elaborate formula for setting prices or interest charges uh, will just simply make things more complex to administer and much more expensive to litigate over later. I'm currently in a, in a case where we've had to have expert accountants to work out how the interest charges are calculated because of the way the contracts have been drafted. DIY is is often a false economy as regards doing the doing the contract um, so please let your lawyer have a look over it not use something on the internet uh, it's it, it, because it a you need to find the right precedent it needs to be a, to be a contract from the right country um, the law needs to be up to date and it's also important to understand the boilerplate that you're sticking you're sticking in Precedent banks are great, but they need to be used carefully. Um, I've a um, lasting recollection of my first commercial client and signed up to a, to a contract. And my, my opponent went into our initial meeting and gleefully pointed out to me that clause seven of their standard contract, which they rolled out with all their clients, um, spelt utter doom for my client and it was at that point I was able to rather to point out that in the contract that their firm had drafted there was in fact two clause sevens and basically what the firm had done is that they had a had a standard precedent and an alternative for when they were acting for the company and an alternative for when they acted for the for the director the, the case simply turned on the fact that somebody had missed um that the the, the second version that hadn't been deleted so uh, if a good law firm can make that mistake uh, it's it's very easy to come to come a cropper and it's and it's something that's so therefore work, worth watching out for if you are going to do things diy one useful thing i've always found is there's there's an old there's an old rhyme I, I don't know whether you know it um four honest serving men i have four honest serving men they taught me when i knew their names are what and why and when and where and how and who and in essence what it is it's a reminder when you're, you're drafting something down to, to make sure that you can answer those questions. What are you delivering? How much is it for? When are you delivering it? Where does it have to be delivered? It's a discipline to, to ensure that the, the points you're making in the drafting are clear.
0: Lastly, where can our listeners find your book?
1: You can get um, a copy of Simple Contract Law on Amazon. Um, it's also available on Kindle. In essence, what it, what it does is... It explains the core concepts of English contract law, uh, packed with the fascinating real-life stories that made it possible and is brilliantly il- illust- illustrated by the enormously funny Gordon Collett. At the back, uh, it has um, an explanation of what all the standard um, everyday boilerplate clauses actually really do. So learn contract law in an afternoon, or at least get a grounding in it.